Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to The Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is Tuesday, June 15. Well, just ahead, Spotify does a $60 million podcast acquisition. It's not this one. It's another one. We're going to tell you exactly who and why. And Lionsgate offers lessons on peaceful coexistence with Netflix and Disney+. And we'll drill down an Invisalign maker Align Technology and talk about how this company is facing the competition. Lee Drogan, founder of Estimize, joins us. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And we hope you're listening to this podcast every day like so many of our listeners, making it your one-stop for business news every day. It's easier when you subscribe. Hit that subscribe button and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We try to give you the business stories behind stocks and a move. Joining me as always, executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, what are the three most developments in the world of business today? Corey, let's get to it. Number one business story of the day, retail sales in the U.S. declined in May. Shoppers deciding to spend more on dining out as businesses reopened as the pandemic recedes and spending less on big ticket items. But even though retail sales were still higher by 28% in May, that was from a year ago. Um, It's not what you would have expected. And I wonder how much of that is really driven by inflation here. Um, uh, You know, you're getting less and people start to get worried about what they can get. Exactly. Number two, a little commodity corner for you, Corey. High lumber prices have been central to inflation debates and concern about the housing market, but prices are falling. Lumber futures have now fallen 42% from a record reach in early May. Cash lumber prices are also crashing. Builders raised home prices and many stopped selling houses before the studs were installed because they were worried about misjudging costs and selling too cheaply. The rapid decline suggests a bubble that has burst, and the question now is how how lumber how much lumber prices will fall. Now, I want to mention King Copper. Copper prices are now at an eight-week low on fears that China might release its stockpiles. So, a lot of a lot of movement in the commodity space. Yeah, I think that's transitory, though. I mean, that the the demand with the rising economy, the demand for glowing uh, copper globally, um, I think is going to be very strong for a long time to come. And finally here, Southwest Airlines flights were disrupted for the second time in 24 hours. The Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA, said the airline was experiencing technology issues in a brief notice posted to its website. Southwest acknowledged that its operations were hampered, but provided very little details. Now, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, let's start with Lionsgate. 
Lionsgate, LGFA shares fell over 9% today, but they've gained 160% over the past 12 months. What is new with Lionsgate? Well, we had the CFO speaking at an investor conference today um, talking about their, where this business sits and where it sits with such big competitors like Disney Plus and, 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 uh, and Netflix. You know, Netflix with over 300 million subscribers. Disney Plus already with about 106 million subscribers, I believe. So, uh, you know, where is there room for the Stars streaming service and, and uh, what Lionsgate controls there? And it was interesting to me, at least, to hear the CFO, James Barge, kind of talk about where this company sits in that universe and how their business plan is not to try to be as dominant as Disney or as, or as big as Netflix or Amazon Prime even, but where they really want to kind of settle in with a certain market and a certain kind of audience and certain kind of shows for that business, and that they've been at it for enough years now that they kind of know how to get there. At least that's what the CFO likes to maintain and did, in fact, maintain today, uh, speaking to investors, James Barge, uh, the CFO of Lionsgate. Everybody else is pivoting away from an ad-based business. We've been at this four plus years, direct to consumer, no advertising. So everybody else is, is pivoting. We're powering on with a proven model. Uh, and Jeff would, would remind you, this is a data-driven premium network. So we've been, we've been getting data for four years now direct downloads of our app. We get a lot of data from our, our platform partners when we're in the over-the-top world. So we're using all that data, not only for marketing, but more importantly, to integrate the kind of programming we need to super serve our audiences. And I don't think, and we don't think of, of Peacock and Disney Plus and Netflix. We don't think of them as competitors. We think of them as companion, companion products, okay? And that's what we're doing. We're serving a very... Uh, premium, edgy, adult space, primarily focused on women. That's 54% of the global population. Uh, it's significantly African-American women. And by the way, this programming, domestic programming, travels incredibly well on a global basis. And so we're very focused there. So we don't, we don't spend to those levels. Our business model works perfect on a you know, 50 to 60 million global subscribers in 2025, right? We have, uh, we, we don't need 300 million global subscribers to be profitable. We're already profitable. So it sounds like he's going to handle what he wants his business to be, and it's not to be number one. It's to, it's to settle in there with a nice business model that can be profitable in smaller numbers. Now, mind you, they're still not at those numbers that they want to get to, but, um, you know, he really did lay out a, a path to get to those sort of 40 million subscribers that they think is going to be the sweet spot for stars. I mean, if you ever look, if you look at Lionsgate in context of all of Hollywood, they've they've always had staying power. They're always right there. They don't budge. They seem to know their brand and they stay in their lane. And um, it's been successful so far. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at Blue Cora. Blue Cora. I'm not familiar with this company. B C O R. Shares rose 8% today, and they've, they're higher by 39% in a year. What's going on with Blue Cora? So Blue Cora is a software company up in the Seattle suburbs, um, uh, Microsoft land, if you will, or Costco land, I guess. But when you're talking about software, I'm thinking Microsoft, maybe not Blue Cora. But Blue Cora is a really interesting business selling software that is used by wealth managers and it is used by tax preparers. And they, they did an investor event today. Um, it was, you know, it was mildly interesting, but I thought that that was really interesting is that they raised their guidance. They said that, that this current year, which has already been really good, is going to be even better. 
saying that in the midpoint of guidance, they'll do about $252 million this year. Um, that's up from their prior expectation, which is about 240-some million. Um, uh, and and uh, profitability as well, uh, which, you know, is a good thing. Uh, but I think what's really interesting here is that um, we've had a couple of really weird tax years, right? We had yeah. um, the tax cuts that took place in 2018 um, were substantial, and they changed corporate taxes a lot. They also changed individual taxes. And then you had all this stuff going on with COVID relief and various COVID relief acts that gave, uh, whether it was PPP or other um, uh, certain tax benefits that got, or, or certain benefits that got taxed differently. And what they found was a lot of tax preparers turned to this company to try to get some help. What was also really interesting to me is that they have a notion that the time to sell tax software is not during tax season. They've got to get the, they, they want tax planning to be a part of their business. And that if they can convince the tax uh, preparers to reach out to their customers using their software, they might find them doing other business, including tax planning long-term and wealth management through the insights they gain through the person's, uh, any individual's uh, tax return. Here is the CEO, Chris Waters. Tax preparation builds on strong relationships with 80% of people viewing their tax professional as their most trusted advisor. Taxes are a large recurring expense. Typically, Americans spend more on taxes than on their mortgages, groceries, and vehicles. Taxes also provide meaningful insights into individuals' financial position that support a highly valuable tax-focused financial planning, in addition to the identification of clear opportunities that drive near-term value for consumers. 80% of people say that they're, according to this company, that that their tax preparer is the most trusted advisor. I, I find that uh, very curious, but wow. I mean, I they guess, listen, a- you, you, want to, you want to trust your tax preparer. Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> they must not have editors in their lives because I trust our editor Ben at least eighty percent of the time. I would give Ben eighty-five percent. You're nicer than me. Yeah, of course, everyone says that. <laughs> Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Spotify. A lot of people listen to this podcast right now on Spotify. Surely. I prefer to listen to this podcast on Spotify. SPOT shares fell 3% today, but they've risen 28% in a year. What's new with Spotify? Well, first of all, I encourage all of our listeners not to just listen on Spotify. You can listen on Spotify and then listen to it again on iTunes and then go over to Pandora. Then we are an equal opportunity podcast. Why not listen to podcast 10 or 20 times? I've strongly yeah, see advised what, it. See what platform um, you like it best on. Spotify did a big deal uh, in the podcast acquisition um, they acquired a podcast called Call Her Daddy. Call Her Daddy? Call Her Daddy? Yep. Okay. What's, what's the podcast about? <laughs> what is up, Daddy Gang? It is your single father, Alex Cooper, with Call Her Daddy. daddy, daddy, daddy. We don't have um, any hard and fast rules about how R or X rated this podcast is, but safely, uh, that's about all I wanted to play of this one and keep it clean. Um, uh, Caller Daddy is a is, is sometimes described as a sex positive podcast. A uh, woman named Alex Cooper is the host. She's wonderful, and she does this podcast where she talks about her sex life and her friend's sex life, and okay. she gets into some great detail. And this is a very popular podcast that up until now had been uh, kept at Barstool Sports, um, but the, uh, now Spotify is acquiring this company. The Wall Street Journal said this was a twenty million dollar deal, but Variety reporting it's a three year agreement between Alex Cooper and Spotify, for $60 million. Wow, good for her. 
um, there was a great kerfuffle that I'm not about to get into that uh, where she and her former co-host split up over how much they were getting paid and maybe separate negotiations. It's definitely a she said, she said uh, drama, but uh, negotiations with Dave Portnoy, the founder of uh, Barstool, and how much he was paying them. And reportedly, uh, she was getting paid $500,000 a year before this deal today. It's going to be for $60 million for a three-year deal. Um, Spotify has made a very big push into podcasts. And so I thought I'd go really meta here. Isaac, you ready? I'm ready. I want you to listen to Danny Leck, the CEO of Spotify, always worth listening to, a very uh, thoughtful guy and, and interesting guy. Um, but this is from a about the podcast business from the Spotify podcast. So, yes, Drill Down listeners, you're listening to a podcast where there's a podcast provider on a podcast talking about acquiring other podcasts. Was it like the fourth derivative of podcasts right now? Here's Daniel. I think so. Yeah. Uh, from October of last year on the Spotify podcast. It's been a big quarter. This summer, we had Michelle Obama. She was the number one podcasters on the platform. In late September, so very late in the quarter, we saw the addition of Joe Rogan, and he very, very quickly became the number one podcaster, not just in the U.S., but in many places around the world. And, you know, I'm excited about this because I think it's hard for people to realize that we've only been in this game for two years. So if this is the what the early days look like, you can only imagine what it will look like going forward. So uh, there clearly has a focus here uh, for more uh, podcasts and more owned podcasts by Spotify. I think as we look forward with Spotify, I think we're probably going to see more of these acquisitions. One of the things that they've talked about in the past is that the people that convert from free listeners on Spotify to paid listeners on Spotify um, are more likely to listen to podcasts or put uh, conversely that a podcast listenership tends to drive conversion from free to paid at Spotify and they like paid. Who doesn't? Well, coming up next, we're going to take a look at the company that makes Invisalign uh, braces, those lovely plastic trays that have proven to be a great business for Align Technology with Lee Drogan after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between. Through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And remember to join The Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. All right, welcome back to The Drill Down. We're joined by one of our favorites, Lee Drogan, the founder of Estimize. Uh, Lee, glad to have you on. I appreciate the way you kind of look at uh, and find interesting companies for us to look at. You brought us Align Technology. And as, as the founder of the Business Podcast Network, I like companies that tell you what they do in the title. So Align Technology straightens your teeth. (laughs) They do. But uh, I think the interesting piece of the business that a lot of people don't quite get from the headline is that they are an incredible software and AI company. And that is really where this whole thing started. They're also, by the way, the largest 3D printing company in the world by probably an order of magnitude. Right. And 3D printing is, a, you know, and a very, very old technology that people never heard of it before think is new, but who's most often used in the dental sphere. It is. And, you know, it, I think that when people think of orthodontics and, and the dentist, 
they don't quite appreciate the scale for that business, not just in the U.S., but globally, and then how nascent it is globally relative to what it is in the U.S. Dude, and I've how, got four teenagers. You don't yeah. think I appreciate how expensive orthodontia is? Come on. Eight, so, so about $8,000 per kid, right? And that's one of the biggest yeah. medical expenses yeah. that, that, that any parent is going to have. It's crazy. <laughs> Um, it, it's real and it's not covered by insurance and it's, nope. it's real. Um, uh, but talk to, is that the business here? I, I want to get to the AI and the data side of it, but is that the business really? It's, it's this massive business of orthodontia for kids. So there's really three things that Align sells. They sell the actual, you know, physical, um, plastic aligners and they sell those not to the end customer. Uh, they sell those to the orthodontists and the dentists. Um, and again, this they, is under the name Evisalign. Yes. And they also sell the, um, basically the thing that they shove in your mouth to scan your teeth. Um, that's something that they patented a while ago. Um, it sells for about $40,000 a, uh, you know, a scanner. Uh, and then they Im- sell they, the- they, they call it imaging systems and CAD cam, right? Yeah. And then they sell the actual software itself. Uh, you know, which allows the dentist to play around with, you know, the movement and how the aligners themselves are uh, uh, are designed and how they will move your teeth uh, over time. So, uh, th- so part of this business is selling to individuals. The other part of the business is selling to the orthodontists themselves. Well, no, actually, almost all their business is just actually selling to the orthodontists and, and dentists themselves. They're not really a direct to consumer company. Um, they go through these, uh, these doctors and, uh, they've been very successful at doing that. And it's actually interesting that they've been able to maintain their margins doing that because they do have, you know, some of these doctors pay them millions of dollars a year, uh, you know, to go through that process. The other thing that happens is that, you know, the doctors are marking up the actual aligners by anywhere between 50 and a hundred percent, sometimes even more relative to what they end it. up paying Invisalign. Yeah. I knew it. <laughs> oh, geez, oh God, the, the bills from these things. So, uh, and, and 85% of their business is from the sale of the, of the orthodonture uh, and 15% is of the, the sales of the imaging systems and the CAD cam and the software and so on. At least that was true for 2020. What's driving the growth here? Yeah. So there's a bunch of different pieces. Um, in the U.S., we're still at the point where though Invisalign has a 90 to 95% market share of, you know, plastic Invisaligners, uh, we're still pretty nascent in terms of the percentage of people who, you know, get their teeth done, who are doing it with plastic aligners relative to the old school, uh, you know, braces, which I had when I was a kid. Um, And that's changing and it's changing rapidly, but there's still a ton of room to run in, um, you know, achieving kind of full market share. Now, you know, the, it used to be that um, you couldn't really do more than let's say 40 or 50% of orthodontic cases with uh, the plastic aligners and doctors, you know, made the case that you had to have the, you know, the old school stuff. That is not the case anymore. They can handle somewhere again between 90 and 95% of all orthodontic cases with uh, the Invisaligners. And so over time, 
you know, this will uh, end up uh, basically consuming the whole market. They're at about 20% of the braces market now. Um, and that'll end up somewhere eventually, uh, you know, around 80, 90%. So what's, yeah, and they do say in their annual report that 90% of, of uh, they think that 90% of the the malocclusion market, which is people with misaligned teeth, um, I'll even say crooked. <laughs> um, uh, someone can correct me on that later. Uh, maybe they can correct my overbite too. Uh, but uh, uh, people with misaligned teeth, uh, uh, the, the big market of, of, you know, 15 million people, um, uh, globally, they think they can handle 90% of that. What's the holdup? What is it educating the orthodontist? Do the orthodontist make less money doing this and therefore prefer other solutions because they can make bigger money if they start yanking out teeth and putting on metal braces? So the holdup is actually just basically training orthodontists. Uh, and, and that is more the case overseas than it is in the U.S. In the U.S., it's actually that the margins, the margins for the orthodontists are better when they use the Invisalign system than when they use the old school braces because they can actually churn through more customers in a day and then just go, you know, basically drive their Porsche and go golf. Um, and the other thing is that they can basically train an assistant to do most of the process associated with, uh, you know, the Invisalign relative to having to sit there inside of somebody's mouth and like, you know, change, literally have them come back in every single week and like, you know, change the braces and tighten and move and all that other stuff. And that's just eating into margin that uh, they they could be using that money to go and market better and pull in more customers. That's really interesting. Um, Lee, can I tell you a party trick? <laughs> go for it. If you ever meet a dentist at a party, <laughs> ask him, how much of the work of other dentists is unnecessary? Because <laughs> the you'll get one of two answers. They'll tell you none, that all dentists are 100% ethical just like they are, or they'll give you a number that's a percentage that's really big and shocking. I, I've never heard. If I, if it, I, and I've gotten both. I've gotten zeros, and I've gotten 80%. I literally stopped seeing my last dentist when he started driving a Porsche. To your point. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, but it, I but mean, it, it, yeah, they, they, they don't have to be there for a lot of this. It's just, it's pretty plug and play, especially as, and I think this is one of the most interesting parts of the business is they have this massive mode of data because they've done so many of these now that they retain all the data from the outcomes and they're able to increasingly be efficient in moving your teeth over time faster and better and dealing with more of the edge cases that they couldn't in the past versus other companies that are entering the space who don't have that data and uh, you know are going more direct to consumer where they're just, it's not gonna work out as well. That's interesting. And, and does that affect the growth rate? So I, I, get, I get the growth story. Does that affect the growth rate though? It definitely does. Look, there are other companies like Smile Direct that have come into the market recently. They IPO'd, I think it was last year or the year before. And, um, uh, you know, the outcomes for companies like that, you know, are not as good as with the Invisalign system. Um, But they can obviously roll it out much faster. They've got, you know, decent margins. I think in the long run, if you want to basically go into China where, you know, it's 1% penetration uh, and 
there's just not a lot of people who actually get their teeth done yet, but that will obviously change because there is a direct correlation between GDP per capita and orthodontal uh, spending. Um, you know, in the U.S., it's $25 billion in, in revenue right now, and it's supposed to double in 10 years. But if you want to go into China, you can't just go direct to the consumer. You have to train or wait for the uh, the orthodontists in China to be trained to then go and provide this service. So um, they have to kind of help the market along instead of just selling into it. And that is a bottleneck for their growth. But it's also the thing that gives them so much growth potential in the future because they just haven't, uh, you know, even started to, you know, play. I'm trying really hard not to make puns, uh, <laughs> but this company really did take it on the chin uh, uh, during COVID, right? You saw it a did. real slowdown, um, uh, negative year-over-year revenues of negative 42% in the June quarter, but a real big pickup in the, Mar- in the March quarter. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of some of the news we heard from companies like Mars uh, that said that people stopped eating uh, spearmint gum. And that was a bit because people just weren't brushing their teeth as much. They, were, they weren't seeing other people. And that was a big turndown during COVID. I would imagine this is the opposite. People are starting to be seen and they want to take care of their crooked teeth more often. I'm talking about the adults, obviously. Yeah. You know what? One of the interesting things is that like 75% of their uh, what they call case starts uh, are in the teen demographic. Um, and so it in terms of. Yeah, in terms of the uh, the adults, you know, they their penetration still isn't. Um, there's still a ton of room to run there. Now, when it comes to the pandemic, yeah, obviously you didn't want to go into you know the doctor's office, and they sure didn't want to be poking around in a zillion people's mouths, you know, that could be sick over that period of time. And so it's obvious, you know, why you know people couldn't get in there to get their teeth scanned. It would have been a great time to do it because we were all sitting at home alone for a year, not you know having to worry about taking those things in and out and look like, and you know, uh, look like you've got a little plastic thing in your mouth, but, uh, coming out of that, yes, absolutely. The demand is absolutely bonkers right now. Um, they're growing incredibly quickly and just like in many other kind of service oriented businesses, we're going to see a glut of demand relative to the supply and that should drive increasing supply. And in the long term, that should be really good for Invisalign's business. Does the metric, they release the metric of how many doctors they train every year. Um, does that track really directly to revenues? If you look at how many doctors or revenue growth, if they, so for example, in, in, it's probably broke last year, but 2019, uh, they trained two, 22,275 doctors. 2020, during COVID, they trained 21,100. So about 1,000 fewer, about 5% fewer. But does that kind of track long-term growth for the company? It actually doesn't, um, because if you look at kind of, you know, in in retail sales, what we would say is like same store sales, but here would be, you know, basically uh, how much revenue is a given doctor doing, you know, how many case starts are they doing? They've, uh, they've increasingly been able to grow their businesses, you know, within the business. And that is a large part of, you know, how this company is, is growing is, these doctors are able to expand their businesses beyond what they were able to do before because, you know, they can just kind of usher people <laughs> through the through the assembly line here at a much quicker pace. So um, it's not just how quickly they can expand to new doctors. It's um, it's actually largely how how fast those doctors can expand their own practices. 
There is also this interesting uh, metric that they report, which is how many cases per doctor. And there are cases per doctor uh, into so that I'm looking at their annual report. They go, they go uh, 2018, 2019, 2020. They go from uh, 57 to 65 to 67 cases per doctor. And now is that also about the doctor learning how to do this more? Or is it just about the doctor convincing more patients to they can even handle more patients that way? It's both. It's both the throughput <clears throat> as well as them shifting over from the old school way of doing it. And, you know, just like any other technology, we would like to think that when there's a uh, incredible kind of you know step function in um, in value or, or efficiency for a technology that everybody just adopts it immediately. But that's just not how the world works. Um, and so we're still relatively early in the adoption of uh, this technology across those doctors and within their practices, uh, which again is why there's just so much uh, you know room for growth. Um, such an interesting business and such an interesting company. I wonder what it means for um, uh, the future. Uh, the, well, the, I guess what I'm thinking about is, is the international aspect, as you said. When yeah. they talk about the number of cases per doctor, it's it's so much lower internationally. It's closer to 15 cases per doctor internationally. Why is that? Yeah, just the efficiency of those uh, practices are not where they are here. The marketing aspect for them uh, and, and literally just, you know, in Latin America and China, um, they're not there yet on having the, uh, the demand that we've got on a kind of per, per capita GDP. Um, but that will definitely change, uh, you know, as we go forward. Interesting stuff. Lee Drogan is the founder of Estimize. Uh, and how can people follow you on your, you're active on the Twitter. I am. Uh, it's L Drogan. And uh, you can also uh, find me on my blog, which is just at my name.com. Lee Drogan. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Well, up next on the drill down the bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot. How many people in the world have misaligned teeth according to a line? Well, maybe, maybe they're a little biased, but they've got to count on the, the global population of both the number of people who are getting their teeth fixed and how many people should. We'll have that number of the drill down bite after this. The drill down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And we hope you're listening to the drill down every day. That's a lot easier if you subscribe, if you click the follow button in your favorite podcast app, that way you'll get every episode of the drill down. Hopefully it'll pop to the top of your attention and you'll be able to catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at drill down pod and connect with us directly on our website, bizpod.net. We are back with the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot, the fine folks at Align Technology who sell um, Invisalign and things to help fix your smile. Uh, they tell us, Isaac, do you want to make a guess at this? How many people have misaligned teeth? According um, to, now, this is according uh, to Align Technology. They are as biased as can get. Warren Buffett says, don't ask a barber if you need a haircut. We're asking the guys <laughs> who sell braces if you need braces. But, I mean, well, I would venture to say that about half the population has misaligned teeth, 50%. Well, they claim it is somewhere between 60 to 75% of the people in the world. 60% of the people in the world would be about 4.7 billion people with uh, malocclusion and uh, misaligned teeth. Um, now, of those, 
Only 15 million people in the major developed countries elect for treatment by orthodontists. I had braces for three years. I know all about it. I had them for about 60, it felt like, in high school. (laughs) Yeah. And both my daughters have have lived to tell. All right. Uh, And I'm still paying for the stuff, of course. All right, Isaac Webster. Thank you very much. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. We appreciate your listening to The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.